Women have been playing football for more than 150 years, and it's always been political. Some of them have been celebrated, but others have been ridiculed, ignored, or forgotten. This is the Forgotten Eleven, the hidden history of women's football. I'm not going to the White House. No. You know, there was a lot of critics talking about us, but we're back, so suck in that one. <laughs> Give me the effing ball. Playing like a girl means you're a badass. Hi. My name is Chris, and this is the Forgotten Eleven, the hidden history of women's football. Today, we're going to start with politics. In 1918, British women over the age of 30 who owned property gained the right to vote. That's more than 8 million women, but not all of them. And there's more to politics than voting. In December of 1921, the English Football Association banned women from using their facilities, claiming that women's teams were not giving enough to charity. What did they mean? They never checked any records. In 1921, the British government ended a wartime program that helped pay for the salaries of miners. The mining companies decided that without government help, they would pay the miners half of what they had earned before. So the miners did the only thing they could. They went on strike for better pay. A strike is very simple. Workers don't work and the company stops making money. The hope is that the company gives in and pays the workers better. The problem for the workers is they don't make any money during that strike. So who can hold out longer? The workers and their hungry kids or the company? The north of England is coal country. In 1921, the north of England is also home to nearly all of the most famous women's football teams in the world. And for many of the players, their fathers, their brothers, and their husbands are coal miners. Up until 1921, the women's football teams had played to raise money for the war effort and for charities. Veterans hospitals, veterans themselves, orphanages. And in the spring of 1921, the women's team decided to throw their fundraising abilities behind the striking miners. This is dangerous. Remember that some of these teams can pull in the equivalent of a few thousand dollars per match. Imagine what $10,000 in groceries might do for those miners. How many people would it feed if you were careful about it? What it means for the miners is that they can now hold out for a fair contract for a long time. What it means for English politics is bigger. The women footballers are taking their considerable economic power and throwing down hard in the political arena to support the working class against the owning class. They're also putting their considerable fame behind this working class cause. This is almost revolutionary. The women's teams organize the Walton Cup. Teams enter to play for a championship cup, and the money they raise goes to help striking miners and their families. Some of these teams are as popular as the men's teams. So this is both big news and bad news for the mining companies. The miner strike took years to resolve, but the women's football teams with the Walton Cup had shown that they could be incredibly potent political operatives. Miners may never have been able to hold out for so long without the money raised by the Walton Cup matches. Now, all I've found so far is the final of the Walton Cup was played between Bentley Ladies and Painthrope Ladies. Bentley Ladies won 5-1. to one. While the Football Association never mentioned this strike or the Walton Cup directly, this may have been what they were referring to when they said that not enough revenue from the women's matches was going to charity. The FA didn't consider striking coal miners a worthy cause. When the FA bans women from playing in December 1921, 
It is also, intentionally or not, trying to keep the women's teams out of politics and labor relations. Remember, women's football has always been political. On December 5th, 1921, the English Football Association issued the ban. And since it's short, here's the whole thing. Quote, Complaints having been made as to football being played by women, the council feel impelled to express their strong opinion that the game of football is quite unsuitable for females and not, ought not be encouraged. Complaints have also been made as to the conditions under which some of these matches have been arranged and played, and the appropriation of receipts to other than charitable objects. The council are further of the opinion that an excessive proportion of the receipts are absorbed in expenses and an inadequate percentage devoted to charitable objects. For these reasons, the council requests clubs belonging to the association to refuse the use of their grounds for such matches. So, obviously, the women's teams are a bit outraged, but they're going to keep playing. On the 10th of December in Liverpool, representatives from 30 women's teams met to establish the English Ladies Football Association. Dozens of other teams sent letters of interest. Over the next week, some teams staged demonstration matches for newspapers and doxers to assess the fitness of women for playing football. And yes, yeah, since 1915, women have played thousands of matches without any unfitness being discovered. So these matches are maybe more of a, in case you missed it, women can play ball. And the next few weeks are a very busy time for the English ladies, F.A. They came up with an organizational constitution, a new format for proper competitive league play. They secured places to play all over the country. And by January 1922, they have nearly 60 teams and a plan for the Ladies' English Cup later that year. There are two new rules. Um, the English Ladies' FA teams can only play other English Ladies' FA teams. And except for the cup, the women can't play more than 15 miles from their homes. So they divide up the country into five regional leagues, and the top teams from each region will play for the Ladies' English Cup. The two new rules seem to be designed to bolster support for the regional leagues, but it also means teams like Dick Kerr's Ladies FC wouldn't be able to join the English Ladies FA since their players came from all over the country. The president of the English Ladies FA was a man named Leonard Bridget. He had played football as a younger man, and in 1920-21, he managed Stoke Ladies and Stoke United Ladies, which were essentially the A and B squad of the same team. On top of that, his daughters played on his two teams, all three of them. You could say the Bridget family was all in for the women's game. Also, Stoke United was good, really good. In the spring of 1921, Stoke United took on Dick Kerr's ladies in two matches about a week apart. In the first match, Stoke United lost 3-0. But the second match, Stoke United played much better football in front of 13,000 fans. According to all accounts, it was a much better match from Stoke. It's also, uh, as far as I can tell, the first uh, red cards were issued at least that I found, were issued during this match. Uh, a woman named Hilda Durbar of Stoke United and Leslie Parr were sent off for fighting. I'd imagine it 
was a decent fight. It seems that the Dick Care ladies were one of the few teams that Stoke United couldn't beat. So, back to the cup. In March 1922, the cup tournament kicks off between the following teams. Stoke, Newcastle, Smallthorne, Chell, Birmingham, Dunlop, Coventry, Aston, Fleetwood, Manchester United, Mercy, Amazons, Rochdale, Plymouth, Marazion, I think, Ediswan, Osram, Grimsby, Doncaster Bentley, Huddersfield, Huddersfield, Atalanta, Boston, Lincoln, and Stoke United. Over the next three months, these teams play knockout matches with increasing difficulty on and off the pitch. Some rugby grounds refuse to let the women use their facilities. Some teams can't come up with the money to travel. And shamefully, preachers in some parts of England start condemning women who play football in a really condescending way. Here's what one of them had to say. We respect and love our women and therefore ought not to encourage them to do anything derogatory toward their, to their position or anything that would be unseemly. By early June, they were down to two teams. It would be Stoke against Doncaster Bentleys in the final match for the Cup. But they had a problem. They couldn't find a place to play the match. Many of the rugby teams were now refusing to let them use their grounds. It took until the 24th of June to find a suitable place in Cobridge. Doncaster's team was Ivy Moulton, Annie Woodward, Flo Benstall, Eva Stevenson, Alice Warren, Mary Bull, Lucy Bromage, Maggie Murphy, Emma Smith, Lily Marshall, and Maria Bull. Stoke was Gladys Mountford, E. Smith, Lizzie Carroll, Hilda Derber, Dolly Cooper, Lily Bridget, Tilly Wagg, Daisy Bates, Lily Brindley, Elsie Stainier, and Eva Bridget. Lily Brindley normally played in goal for Stoke, but in the final, Len Bridget played her as a center forward, and Gladys Mountford was put in goal. It might seem odd to play a goalie as a forward, but I'm just looking at a team photo of Stoke. Lily Brindley has got to be almost six feet tall. The rest of the team are vaguely smiling, while Lily Brindley stands in the back center of the photo, arms crossed, with a look on her face that says something like, could we get on with this? I've got to get back to wrestling that bear. Several sources just call her fearsome. On the 24th, heavy rain kept the crowd to only 2,000 people. Doncaster's Emma Smith opened the scoring in the fifth minute, but Stokes' Daisy Bates and Elsie Stanier both managed to score before the half. By the second half, the pitch, the ball, and the teams were soaked through from the rain. Late in the half, Stokes' captain, Dolly Cooper, managed to convert a penalty, and Stoke won the cup, 3-1. to one. The English Ladies FA existed on paper until the 1930s, but this final cup match appears to be the last match they officially organized. In the spring of 1922, Dick Kerr ladies went on tour in France, and in the fall, they found more headlines when they toured in North America. You get the impression that maybe Dick Kerr's ladies were a bit of, th of a thorn in the side for Stoke. Not only had Stoke never beaten Dick Kerr's ladies, now Dick Kerr's were taking some of their headlines. 
So in early September 1923, Leonard Bridget and the Stoke ladies went on their own tour to Barcelona. Stoke played two matches against the French team Les Sportives of Paris in what had previously been FC Barcelona's home stadium. They would play for a trophy presented by Cooperativa de Casas Baratas, an organization fighting for cheap housing. Before the first match, the French team mildly flipped out. Stoke had a new player that the French women knew well. In the program, she was listed as L. Bedford, but the French knew, women knew she was actually Flory Redford, former wonder kid from the Dick Care ladies, and currently playing for the French team Femina. They decided Flory Redford would play in the first match, but it wouldn't count towards the trophy. Stoke won the first match with a hat-trick from Redford, so good call, sportives. The next day they played for the cup, and this time, well, Stoke still won, uh, but the score is 1-0. Stoke had now won what they were calling the International Cup and hurried back to England because they were now going to play their arch rivals, Dick Cares Ladies, on the 22nd of September. The lamps for Stoke, Jay Longshaw, Teresa Cooper, Lizzie Carroll, Lily Bridget, Dolly Cooper, Ida Bridget, Ada Derrico, Elsie Stanier, Tilly Wagg, Daisy Bates, and Eva Bridget. Dick Cares Ladies fielded Kell, Lee, Buxton, Martin, Ashcroft, Parkinson, Chorley, Moran, Akers, Flory Redford, and Lily Parr. That's right, Flory Redford had switched back to the Dick Cares ladies. From the program for that match, Miss Flory Redford. Dick Cares center forward, can shoot with tremendous power and accuracy, has scored more goals than any other girl playing football, has returned specially from Paris to play this match. This match was much better than their last encounter. Neither team could find an advantage until Stokes' Daisy Bates saw a chance and ran half the pitch alone to get a shot past Dick Kerr's captain and goalie, Miss Cal. Dolly Cooper almost doubled that in the last minutes of the match, but she was denied a goal. Stoke win 1-0 in what appears to be Stokes' final match. It is a very rare defeat for the mighty Dick Kerr ladies. Hi, thanks for listening. Uh, I hope you're enjoying it as much as I enjoy it. Uh, as you might imagine, it takes a little bit of research, uh, an effort to get an episode ready for a couple reasons, but the uh, biggest reason is a lot of the information is buried, hidden, or forgotten. So, for example, I, I found the Walton Cup by accident. Uh, just a little tiny reference to it, and then I had to dig a little further for it. Uh, here's another little bit of info I found, uh, just one sentence. Quote, After World War II, Italy established its National Women's Association in 1950, and West Germany organized the first informal Women's European Championship in 1957. Now, I don't know about you, but that got me very curious. Uh, then I found a reference uh, to an article from January 1st, 1957, and that headline reads, Britain beat Germany 4-0 in European Championship in Berlin. And it seems to me that uh, that's a British and West German women's team. Those little tidbits are kind of what keeps this show going. 
so if you'd like to find out more or see photos of these players, maybe even some film when I find it, or tell your story, or just say hi, uh, please join our Slack channel. Uh, Slack is a group chat. Uh, it's uh, on the web where you can get an app. Uh, it's free, like I said. Uh, just check your app store. Uh, if you'd like to help with research, uh, Slack is where we'll talk about those that, what I'm working on, what you might want to work on. Uh, I can see a problem coming up uh, in the next few episodes. Uh, if your French or Spanish is better than mine, please reach out. Uh, it'd be a great help. And uh, if you know German or Italian, I'm going to need help with that, I hope, if I can find some resources. Uh, and yeah, uh, like I said, thanks for listening, and uh, I'll see you next time.